0: Welcome to MACMA's Audience Architect, where we are crafting the future of audience engagement. Our mission is to dive into the intricacies of the ever evolving media and publishing landscape through the sharp lens of audience and marketing professionals. Each episode will unravel the meaning and perspective on trends that are shaping the industry. Welcome to episode four of the Audience Architect podcast. I'm your host, Bill Levine, and today we're diving deep into a topic that has taken the publishing world by storm and is on the agenda at every publishing industry conference, and that is intent or purchasing intention data. Some think of it as the heartbeat of today's data-driven programmatic and advertising and lead gen solutions. So why is there so much buzz around intent data? At its essence, intent data unravels the intricate tapestry of audience or user behaviors, their frequency of engagements, preferred channels, and aligns it with demographics. This alignment allows us to predict with greater accuracy than ever before an individual's likelihood to purchase specific products or services pitched by advertisers. Many B2B publishers and events companies are now presenting this innovative tool to their advertisers and exhibitors, and it's rapidly becoming a cornerstone of audience development strategies. Purchasing intention in the B2B realm is powered by a combination of technologies like customer data platforms and predictive analytic tools, and increasingly probably AI and machine learning, all of which analyze behavioral insights from web analytics, CRM systems, and social media engagement. More about that with our guest, So whether you're a seasoned publisher, an advertiser on the hunt for the next big thing, or someone simply curious about the shifts in the public publishing landscape, this episode promises enlightening insights. Let's decode the mechanics of intent data and understand its transformative potential. So fasten your seatbelts, data enthusiasts, as we demystify, decode, and design the roadmap to mastering intent data. Let's architect the future. Audience Architect is a content service of MACMA, the media audience and content marketing association. Supercharge your career with MACMA's paid membership. Connect with industry experts, thought leaders, and like-minded professionals. Expand your knowledge and stay ahead with networking events, webinars, and conferences. Join MACMA today for unparalleled value and professional growth. Check us out at www.the-macma.org. Thanks, as always, to Lisa Pistilli and the gang at MACMA. Ladies and gentlemen, today on the Audience Architect podcast, we're honored to have a very special guest with us, Len Roberto, a name synonymous with product innovation and forward-thinking strategies in the world of data-driven audience development. Len has been at the forefront of the Intent Data Revolution. With a career spanning nearly 30 years working in companies like Informa, Northstar, George Little Management, Canon, Penton, Wix Business Information, and starting out in B2B old-school print circa in 1995, Len has not only witnessed but actively shaped the transition toward a more predictive and intelligent way of understanding and business publishers and corner office jockeys out there monetizing audience behavior. Most recently, Len has been employed in the division of Informa markets known as Qualify, which unfortunately is winding down this month. While they pioneered in data-driven advertising and lead-gen solutions and saw steady growth, it wasn't enough to meet Informa's expectations – So now, on the lookout for fresh opportunities, Len is leaning towards roles in media, events, or any content-driven firms with rich customer database. Today, he'll unpack his journey with the intent data at Qualify, explore its significance for publishers, the inherent challenges, and the invaluable lessons drawn from their experience. His expertise in intention data is unparalleled, and today, he's here to share his wealth of knowledge, insights, and predictions for for where this transformative tool is heading. So whether you're new to this realm or well-versed, Len's perspective promises to be enlightening. Without further ado, let's dive into this deep reservoir of knowledge with Len Roberto. Len, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you.
1: Oh, thank you so much for that introduction. That was quite amazing. Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Awesome. So I think we start from the beginning. Len, can you kick us off by defining intention data and its significance in audience development?
1: Sure, the way I always the way I looked at it was uh, it's important because it's very recent. so it's it's a topic based uh, way of learning what companies, what domains are researching a, a certain set of topics in a time frame. So it's not people based, it's not individual individual based. it's company based, but it's a way of learning uh, what companies, Using machine learning, it scans a page. It knows the topics that are assigned to that page, and then you can look in that framework and see what companies are showing surges or or spikes in in research. You know, it uses a scoring system. You can see uh, assign a number of value to it for a time frame, so it's you can get really really recent and say, okay, I know this set of companies is doing a lot of research on this set of topics that I'm interested in, my company's interested in, or my clients are interested in, which is what we were using it for. So it was a way of combining demographic information, behavioral information, all the stuff we knew about our first party data. All of you publishers have a great first party data set, an audience. Now you can put on top of that, you can know, all right, within there, these companies are really doing a lot of research, so they're more important. They're somewhere farther down the funnel. Um, we can put a higher priority on these companies, add them into our mix, and it became a very powerful uh, tool to, to increase our metrics and, and make everything we were doing a little bit stronger because this data was very recent and very on-topic.
0: Great start. I have like 428 questions I want to ask as, <laughs> just as you were saying that. But let's let's ask how your journey began in the realm of intent data and what catalyzed your interest.
1: This, this was a new group, as you mentioned, that we were born within uh, during the COVID realm. And we were trying to figure out how we can uh, serve our exhibitors Uh you know, trade shows were, were not happening. So we were trying to figure out how can we use this amazing set of data, millions of records of of attendee data, and how can we serve our, our customers without trade shows happening? So we came up with a series of products. We were going to utilize our data. We were going to uh, serve programmatic advertising campaigns and lead gen campaigns to our exhibitors in lieu of them not having a stand at one of our trade shows. And during that journey, it, it we, we started to hear about intent data, and we got uh, we, we had some relationships already with with uh, some companies, and we decided, you know, is there a way we can incorporate this information into our product offering uh, in a new way? Can we? It, it was a wealth of data. There was a lot of amazing information that we could glean from that. How can we put it into our product mix and and offer it to? Our exhibitors as as an add-on, something extra, as well as making the the segments we were going to create for them and serve ads to make them better. Can we use this information in some kind of a like a trend reporting uh, analysis? Can we can we can we use it that way? And that's how it it evolved from there uh, as a way of providing. A look into their market. Uh, we, we we started to call it, you know, a research intelligence report. There were all kinds of names we came up with, but it was a way of sharing this information with our clients to show them um, what was happening in in their sphere, in their world, in their in their set of topics they were interested in, and and it grew from that, and it became really really important. People really started to rely on it, push us to come up with new ideas. Um, And it became a really, really important part of the product mix and the sales process to convince exhibitors that they should do a program with us because we were not only had the best first party data, but now we had this other layer of information on top of it. And it became a big selling point. And then after that, it became a big part of the the ongoing relationship that we have with these uh, exhibitors. um, And it became really, really important.
0: What changes or additions did you need to make uh, at your tech stack or with a CDP or with any technology to enable what you were doing, uh, either in- internal or also third-party vendor uh, services?
1: We did have uh, a CDP. Uh, it was originally uh, Linux, then it changed to Treasure Data, and this information was was critical the intent data was, was important that we get it flowing into the CDP in some way. So we did have to arrange that. Uh, the topics, all of the topics that were in the taxonomy, uh, the scoring system, and uh, there was also a way that we could identify using technology that's way beyond my, my bailiwick, but it was there was a way to match up individuals with the IDs that were coming from the intent company and the IDs that we had to say, okay, we knew that this person was doing research on these topics and here was their score. But then also we applied that to everybody that we had at the company. So coming into RCDP was was crucial because it was used while I was building segments. I can refer to the intent scoring and say that I wanted to add in people that had uh, an affinity to this topic. And then the intent provider themselves had a wonderful... Uh, insights reporting tool that I became very familiar with where I could go in and and do lookups and I can do all kinds of other things that really helped uh, while we were on calls with clients to show them the power of this as well. So I was using the tools provided by the uh, intent provider, which were very important, very in-depth, many, many different reports. And then it was also flowing into our CDP so we could access it in both places and and one augmented the other because we would get we would get the additional names of the companies from the tool incorporate them back into the segment and see if we had any matches so it became it became a a very powerful way to um use all the power that they were telling us was we could do it inside and outside the intent company i think that you're referring to is Bombora, correct yes yep that was our provider they're one of the top Five or six in the space. I know there's many, many out there, um, and we also we also uh, looked at the idea of having our own, you know, intent. Every all of you publishers, all of us can have. Our, you can have your own intent framework, but it's only going to be based on your own websites, right? Your own sphere. So you can create this technology using your your own. All of your web pages can be tracked. I'm sure that that's done now. You can create a taxonomy. You can you know, tag your pages and know uh, which companies, if you can identify them. Again, the technology is a, is a little bit above my head. I just know how to use it. I don't know how it's built. But you can see who's looking at your pages, and that's great. And that was part of what um, Bombora did for us as well. All of our pages, informus pages, were tracked. And that's great to a point if you have a lot of editorial and you have a great uh, system of Whatever you can say, I know who's coming to my pages, I can derive an intent uh, signal from them, I know what they viewed, I know the topics. But if you can now expand that to be in a wider net, and that's what these intent companies do, is they have much wider views outside of your own sphere. You can say now your net is very, very wide, you have thousands of companies that you're seeing, millions of pages, and now you have a much better picture globally of what's happening. Uh, Bombora's average uh, is 26 billion page views a month, roughly average wow. that they're seeing, that they're tracking and they're classifying that into a, a taxonomy of 13 or 14,000 topics. So you have a much wider view and you can say, okay, I have a, a much bigger picture to to, to glean those intense signals from because it, it is so wide.
0: Um, I know... A lot of our uh, um, members are interested in uh, making sure they're adhering to privacy laws, which are going to be increasingly stricter. How, in this case, um, were you able to rationalize the privacy piece of it? Or is there even a privacy piece of it?
1: There is. And that is that is one of the things that uh, it took a lot to explain and educate with um clients and exhibitors when we're talking about this because there is a little bit of i I heard the word creepy it's creepiness you know it's they're spying on us and it's it's really not that. and that's internally there was a lot of overcoming uh negativity to that as well it's an anonymous it's an anonymous thing you can't see uh where the data is coming from when we're looking at those uh 26 billion page views you can't say i want to know What that company's over there that's that's in the group, or no one could see ours. No one can say I want to see what Informa's people are looking at or Informa's pages. It's totally anonymous, Um, so there is uh, privacy and concerns in there. But I believe it because it's not an individual base. It's only based on a domain, uh, an IP address. That I believe that's that's mitigated. So we were fine with that. But when we're talking it, when you're talking about it with clients you do have to explain to them this, this very thing. It's, it's not creepy. It's not, uh, we're not spying on people. It's, it's simply looking at, uh, you know, same thing that happens when you go to Amazon and whatever, and you're looking at shoes and then you go somewhere else and, and see the ad for the shoes. They're just looking at what your behavior is uh, for, for your, your fingerprint online, your online fingerprint. and, And then it's, you can look that up. So it's not ever based on an, on an individual. Um, even though we could match that up in our cvp uh, we were never calling people and saying oh we know you looked at uh, such and such yesterday so it, it's not that level but um and i believe vambora took takes care of all of that there is some blocking you know there's if you wanted to block this information there are ways mm-hmm. to do that on your own uh, your own network or, or machine so that that happens as well so there are uh, it's not a blanket you can't see everybody that's doing this research on a certain topic there are uh, holes and, and and blockages so that's just again you have to take this all with a grain of salt and realize that when we say an intense signal yes all this is very important to kind of point you in the direction of i know these companies are actively researching but it's never going to be all it's never going to be 100% coverage there's always going to be some that are not participating but it will still give you a much better idea of what's happening in your marketplace.
0: Let's, let's get down and dirty a little bit about how Qualify used intent data in your product
1: offering. Yeah. So again, we're, we were a little bit different because we were using this information for my group to monetize this, to create products and entice an exhibitor to run a program with us because our first party data was so strong, because we could identify and target their their profiles that they wanted to reach. And then we were using it as an add on to this. It wasn't for our own, uh, developing our own audience or finding new people, we were we were solely using it for our clients. So it became that we would meet with a client, uh, we would have a discussion about who their personas is, who do you want to reach, what industry is it in, what size of company, all those, that wide range of demographic information that they would give us. I would use that to uh, go in and create a segment. I would study their company a little bit. I would learn from them from a discovery call. Okay, I'm I'm looking at, omega- I, I want to find people that are interested in omega-3s because my company provides ingredients for companies that use omega-3s. Okay. I would use that information. I would go into the taxonomy, into the intent framework and say, okay, are there any topics out there that are related to this? And sometimes you'd find one right on the money. Okay. omega threes is a topic. Perfect. Sometimes it might be a little bit more tangential. It's protein related or something else. I would find those topics. I would go into the uh, Bambora framework. I would say, okay, let me see the companies that are Interested in spiking in omega three as this topic in the last month, because again I, I want to be really recent. I don't I didn't care about going back six months. I wanted to go back very recently to show the client that uh, this is this is up to date. We would meet with the client. We'd go over the audience. We'd show them who I built for them using all of Informa's wonderful first party data and our trade shows and all the behavior and the appending and the enriching and the the all this information that we have gleaned. About the people you want to reach. Here it is. Then I would go into this second part. Clear on that. Okay, now we go into intent. What is it? I would have to explain what it is. Why is it important? What does it do? How is it generated? We go over that in a simplified format, because it it can get really complicated. Some people, some exhibitors would, would get this right away, they would understand it. Some people needed a lot more discussion show me what you mean tell me more about it how does it how do you get this why is it okay why is how is the privacy you know same things you're asking we'd go through it i'd say okay look in the last week there's 500 companies that have surged spiked more research than normal on omega-3s we can narrow that down by geography we can narrow it down by the size of the company we can narrow it down by uh, what type of company they are oh you only want food and beverage manufacturers Okay. There's 500 companies that are food and beverage manufacturers in the last week that have shown huge interest in omega-3s. These are people that we want to make sure that we can reach. I would take that information and put it back into our CDP and say, okay, of those 500 companies, Informa has 280 of them. We matched 280 of them. So they're definitely going to be in your segment, Mr. Client. getting really into the weeds here. But the point of this was, is that 99 out of 100 people that we spoke to when we showed them this, this uh, path, and it took a lot of time to evolve and get to this, this level of of the script, let's say, everybody, by that point would say, this is great. I, I love it. I see that you have the right personas. I see you have the right data. I showed them where our data comes from. And I would actually give them a peek into the CDP and say, here is your segment that I built for you. And it would have all of that uh, information to show them it's here's how it's built. Here's where it came from. And then we get to step two. We're going to layer on this intent data, explain what it is. By the time that was done, they were usually all in. Now the trouble came after that when it became budgets and pricing and all of that stuff, but the process and the explanation and the, the revealing of the information to them about the data itself, the audience itself, they all bought into that right away, saw the value there, saw the value in the intent data. And then, oh, part three is you're going to actually see every month and every quarter, we're going to share with you this intent information in a report format. We're going to produce it for you and give it to you as part of the product, as part of what you're buying. You're going to buy into a, a subscription based thing that was a minimum of six months we were trying to get people into 12 months over that time you're going to get these reports every month you'll see what is happening in your market all those people that are interested in omega-3s those companies every month you'll get an update you'll see the names of the companies of who they are that's all we would reveal is the names we know these companies are interested in your topic it was a an additional tool for our clients to know that we are covering this market for you we're your marketing partner here are the companies interested in omega 3s this month. Take it and run with it. Look in your CRM, see if you know who they are, see if your salespeople know who they are, give them a call. You know who they are. It's it's knowledge for you. Again, we would use it to refresh that audience every month. As the campaign is running, I would look at that company list, see if we had any matches, put them back into the segment, serve them those programmatic ads, and that would continue on. So it would grow through the campaign using the intent uh, signal data knowledge that would help us enhance the file every month so that we were always serving the most recent the most focused and the most up-to-date people that matched our clients needs and that became pretty powerful it did increase our metrics and our kpis and our click-through rates doubled tripled sometimes uh, using this uh, you know feeding in those intent companies so it became very important and then that reporting Became really, really valuable to clients. It's a, it was a very something they looked forward to, something they would use, and then that sparked new things. Like the idea was, can this help drive renewals? Can it help uh, convince people that metrics are good, audience is good, data is good, intent reporting is valuable? I want to renew with Qualify. I want to, I want to do this again because it's working for me. And that we would meet with them regularly, monthly, uh, quarterly. We would have a sit down and say, here's what's happening. Here's what did we did right. Here's what didn't work. Here's which part of the segment did really well. Here's which part of the segment we need to adjust. And what is that intent data telling us? And it became really valuable for cer- certain clients. I'll give you a couple of examples. One of our clients uh, was really pushing us. They were one of the early adopters. They understood what we were doing. And they came to us and said, we love this intent data. Uh, It's really important, but what are we going to do with it? What can it help? How can it help us? How can we drive more leads? How can we spend more money with Informa by using this intent data? What can we do with it? So
0: you're right. Like that return on investment question. um, Yeah ultimately is what it boils down to all the technology, all the data wizardry is amazing. But then they like think about, okay, what am I getting out of it?
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. And that became one of the biggest uh, issues that we had is uh, you can't just dump this information to to a client and give it to them. You have to explain it. You have to recommend, you have to analyze it. So we created a, a quarterly report of about six or seven pages that would say, Okay, now we're going to we're going to look back a year. Here's the trend that's happening for your topics. Whether it's one topic or 50 topics in their cluster, we would show them what is happening. Because the data will tell you, "Okay, I'm interested in topic X. I think topic X is really really important." And we would show them this report and say, "Well, actually it's topic Y is much more important than topic X in the last 3 months, 6 months, a year." And that would kind of change their thinking and say, "Oh, I didn't realize that this is this is new, and so that was really important. Then and, and then it would also show you the trends over the months. Here's the the seasonality of what's happening in my market. I can see that October is really really more important than April when I thought it was the reverse. Or so that kind of information would come out in these discussions. And then this one client I mentioned, um, we looked at the data. We looked at when are you coming to when are you exhibiting at another show coming up oh i see in september you're coming to a show that we're having and the data is telling us that in september it seems to be a really hot period here um so i had the idea um i'm I'm just off the cuff on the call with this client not even checking with people which i had got my wrist slapped for that but it was (laughs) hey what what if we what if we had a a Sit down in person, get together at the show that you're going to be at. You're exhibiting there. What if we could have a a lunch or a talk or a room or whatever, and invite people to come and listen to you? If we know the topic is spiking and we know that they're going to be there at the show, let's let's see if we can do this. So let's and they love that and they paid us fifteen thousand dollars for that. And we did a marketing campaign. We went to the show team. We said we have this idea. Okay, this will work. Let's have a, a. it was called a coffee talk. Let's have an hour long block of time in a room. We'll serve coffee and, and refreshments and let's market to them. So we used, again, our demographics, our uh, the people we knew that were pre-registered coming to the show. Then we reached out a little farther and we said, OK, let's look at the intent companies, even though they might not be pre-registered. Let's ask them anyway. Hey, let's see if you can come to this meeting in September Uh, in Boston, and we're going to invite you to the show. It it became an adjunct to the marketing registrations for the show as well. We knew these people are interested. Let's put them on the reg list and see if they want to come to this event. And we were expecting 20 to 30 people to come into the room. The client was happy with that. That would be great if we can sit down and talk to 20 or 30 really focused, really targeted people we got 221 to register and 70 showed up. So it was double what we wanted. And and the client was also fine with understanding that this is a future thing, right? These people might not want your product or your service right now, but they're interested enough to know that they want to learn about you now. So that maybe eight months from now when they do need your service. So that, that was fine too. That was one of the things that we tried to really make a point of that, you know, Maybe you want to expand a little bit because, you know, you want to reach people that are going to be clients, not the ones that are right now. And so, did the clients
0: think that those 70 people in the room were the right room, even if, if they weren't ready to pull the
1: trigger and buy right away? They did. Um, there, I think it was about three quarters of them were, were were right on the money. The other quarter were good companies that they wanted to reach, but might not have been exact targets right now. Um, so they were, they were very thrilled with it, very happy with it. And then this sparked us to continue this. Okay, let's use the intent data. Let's look at it and really make a recommendation uh, for the clients when we're meeting with them. Because that was one of the things that we heard over and over and over again. I love this. It's great. It's telling me good information. But how do I use it? What do I do? How can I get more business? How do I get more leads? So it became uh, a way of what else can we recommend? What else can we do? What else can we offer? Uh, maybe you want to do a lead gen campaign in November because it looks like this is a really good time to do it. Or and and even beyond that, you know, maybe you don't even want to do a campaign with us. But maybe in in April, it's telling you maybe you want to create your own white paper or something. The data was pointing them in in a direction that they wouldn't have had without it because it was looking at what the recency and and when they should be doing this. It was it was important to them. It became a really important thing as we progress through the the contracts and the campaigns with these clients.
0: We'll be right back. Audience Architect is a content service of MACMA, the Media Audience and Content Marketing Association. Supercharge your career with MACMA's paid membership. Connect with industry experts, thought leaders, and like-minded professionals. Expand your knowledge and stay ahead with networking events, webinars, and conferences. Join MACMA today for unparalleled value and professional growth. Check us out at www.the-macma.org. Thanks, as always, to Lisa Pistilli and the gang at MACMA. So I, I really think this angle of the perfect time is 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 sort of new anyway to B two B maybe not on the consumer side. Um, so that's an incredible insight. Um, now put it together with the what. So uh, as far as lead gen, can you give a little bit more detail? Are we talking about sort of content download programs or other kinds of programs? What lead, what did lead gen look like?
1: Yes, exactly. That's that's what it was. We we had two two parts. We had uh, programmatic advertising, and then we had lead gen. So we would offer both. You didn't have to do both if you were if you wanted to. Some clients had a ready-made piece of content, a, a wonderful report or an e-booklet or a white paper. They had that, uh, and it was they were using it. So some clients didn't have that. Some clients only wanted to stick with. Display advertising across the net the spectrum that we offered, and that was fine too. So we would get an asset from them, or five or ten assets from them. We would uh, target differently if needed. Maybe maybe uh, this piece of content only you wanted to go to the C suite people, while the other piece of content would be better for the engineers. So we could split that up. We could segment multiple multiple ways. We would host that content, uh, and we would drive people to. Uh, Page that we would create that would host the content. People would put in their information. That lead uh, would go directly to the clients. Um, And we did this really, really carefully. We didn't just say, "You're going to get 50 leads this month. Here you go." Nope. We would start with like five leads for the for for the week. We're going to use our own demographic data again to to power that. We're going to add in the intent data. And sometimes we would only use The intent data. So here's the 500 companies again I mentioned. We're going to only target those 500 for this week or two and analyze what, what is working the best, which is providing you the best leads. We'd get those five leads. We would look at them. We would share them. The client would share with us okay, these three leads are really good. Perfect. These two, not so much. Okay, let's see if we can adjust and do the next week's five leads so that we would tailor it, tailor it down until we got to the point where. We were right on target. One of our Another example, one of our clients, really, really niche, really, really targeted. Um, we did this. We got about 20% of the leads. We got them. We're good. Okay, let's adjust. Another month or two went by. We made adjustments, corrections, learned from them, learned from the data. By the time we were done uh, into the third or fourth month, about 80% of the leads, we were delivering them we right on the part and target, and they shared with us. Here's my all of my marketing going on, and here's the percentages of great leads that are coming, and we were above their average. So we were delivering a higher percentage of really good leads than they were getting from all their other sources, which was enlightening. But it took a lot of work. It wasn't easy. It took a lot of adjustment, a lot of one to one discussion and. And care. It was not a fire and forget thing. We weren't just going to take money and, and and set up your ads and build your audience and then let it run for 12 months. No, nope, we were going to really, really look at it. We had someone on staff who was solely uh, her job was optimizing, uh, analyzing the campaigns, making adjustments You know, from everything from desktop to mobile to which social channels are working well, which aren't. Let's change. Let's move the money here. And it was, uh, you know, we, our metrics went up in most cases from beginning to end of campaign. Um, So we really tried to make it a big part of the process was a partnership.
0: Len, what uh, was the title of the optimizer person you were just talking about? I think that's a really interesting resource
1: on the team there. Oh boy, I'd have to look that up. Hold on. Programmatic and audience analyst. There you go. So is that person more an audience person or more a
0: marketing person purely or both? I'm curious.
1: Uh, it's, it was a tech person. Uh, mm. she, she, but she did, she did make a great effort to come over and learn, you know, how are these audiences created? Let's look at the CDP. But she was mostly concerned with, you know, how many impressions are being served? Why are they not serving? What, what can I do to optimize the campaign within uh, Google DB 360 or within LinkedIn, within Facebook, how can I adjust, you know, Len, can we add in some people here? Can we, um, uh, is there any people we're missing? Can we, can we add in a, a certain job function or title? Can we expand the the regions a little bit? You know, she would be pushing me to k- say, we're not serving enough ads. Let's look about it or, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And that became a, a big part of the, the process as well is making sure that we were delivering the right ads, or we're falling below or, or we're going over, you know, same thing with the leads, you know, this, uh, is there something we can make an adjustment within our lead um, generation program to, to make an adjustment there? So that level of service, that level of um, looking and checking and, and reviewing was a big part of what we were doing.
0: It's uh, certainly a high touch, high level of service, kind of proposition that you're talking about, about the leads themselves and, you know, this notion of quality versus pure quantity. How did you deal with advertisers um, who were mostly focused on quantity? Could you bring them over uh, and convince them and persuade them with the data that you're talking about? Or were some of them just saying, look, my boss has a quota. I have to get you know, a thousand leads a month or else I'm fired.
1: How did you deal with that? Because that's a real thing, right? Oh, absolutely. When I hear the word lead generation, I kind of cringe a little bit now anyway, but everybody, every company that we talk to has a different uh, view of what a lead is for them, right? And we would have to be really, really clear on that. Um, Some companies would be happy with those five leads if they were uh, just wanted to get their brand out there and they were interested in spreading awareness and they were happy with that other spectrum way on the other side so niche so in-depth you know their their audience itself when you would press them on this and i would i would always ask them you know what is the size of your if you could get everybody that you want to reach in a room how many people would it be oh it's five thousand people okay that's (laughs) a really small audience to to be wanting you know 100 leads from so that is makes it more difficult so uh, there was always a tension and um, we had a lot of struggle with, with the whole lead gen side of it. A lot of it has to do with the, the industry or the, again, Informa has 14 major, uh, major um, divisions that we serve from, from jewelry to, to advanced manufacturing and everything in between. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy how big it is. So certain industries we were really, really strong in, and the leads were, were, um, were great. Uh, we could be as we could be focused at the same time that we had a broad enough reach where we had a great pool to start from. Uh, we always had to be careful not to be too focused, right? We can't come down and find 200 people in your, in your, your target pool. That That's not going to work. We can't serve ads to that. We needed at least a few thousand, but we could be very, very nichey. We could use, you know, 15 different demographic points on top of the intent data to really, really target, and it would work fine. Other times, other groups, we found that there were struggles. So that has to do with your own data and, and the size of the audiences, again, that you're, you're targeting. But it became an issue, and we could get it to a point where we would, again, um, target and focus and change and revise enough where we were, we were delivering what the client wanted and then honestly there were others that we could never we would never be able to we could never satisfy. They didn't renew. We we tried to make as many changes as we could, as much attention as we could. It just we just weren't delivering uh, on the whole the, the numbers that they wanted. And and that was just the way it was. We we like I said before, we couldn't be, you know, there were some clients that wanted, you know, such a small number of people in the pool that it was just we could tell from the beginning or the, the assets they gave us you know it, it depends on the creative right no matter what you have that's as wonderful an audience as you have if you're going to serve them a, a an ad or a, a piece of content that's not compelling and you're you got one arm tied behind your back it's not going to work so we had to overcome that too we didn't have a creative department we weren't creating ads for people we weren't creating assets for people that would have been a whole nother um staff that we just we just didn't want to become a, a full-time you know marketing services agency. So we relied on them to provide us with with ads, with creative and assets. and sometimes they you know, they didn't work out very well.
0: This leads me to a question about the business of intent data. It seems intent data is premium octane. So is as a high touch service, which ostensibly as a publisher or or an event company, you would equate that to a high price. Is this a tool of only the top 5%, the top 25 of your customers in each niche? or Because as you you have been pointing out, this is an always-on proposition. This is not like a set it and forget it or like a one-month campaign. So how, how does this lay out for, um, you know, publishers?
1: I think you, you might have a lot in what you said and might be correct, and we might have made that mistake. We did. We did try to specifically target the top 25 exhibitors in each segment or the top 50 uh, or the ones that were spending the most with us. We tried to go after them first, uh, and we did have some success there. But then the flip side of that is that there's a whole lot of exhibitors that are too small. And we did come up against that a lot as well. Uh, we're already charging them you know, a, a nice price to come and exhibit at our show. Now here we come along offering this solution, which everybody agreed, like I said, was great. Data is great. Everything is wonderful. But you want to charge me this on top of what I'm already paying you. That became an issue. So we had to make adjustments there. Uh, when we started reaching out to enterprise level outside of our sphere of exhibitors we reached out to agencies Uh, big time agencies had a lot of really good discussions with the big time agencies they want first party data they want to reach people that are um, a higher cut above than just going into the live ramp marketplace so to speak but it was a struggle for them to pay what we wanted, right? We overvalued, I think, a lot of what we were serving, you know. I can get the same audience over here for $2 a thousand and you're charging me, me me a lot more than that. And we would say, it's not the same audience, right? It's, it's different, right? It's it's people that have come to trade shows. It's people that have come to webinars that we know all this great stuff about. And they'd go, yeah, that's great, but I can't pay you 10 times as much as you're as... Okay, so we had to think about that. Uh, so. The intent data, I think, has a lot of merits for publishers, for media companies. But the way to organize that and create a product roadmap around that is what's what's the challenge, and what will your what will your what will your clients, what will your advertisers pay for that? It has to be that has to be a lot of analysis. We had before we even began the business, we reached out to twenty or thirty exhibitors that we had good relationships with that had been with us a long time and we, we proposed this if we did this and if we offered this and if we could target your clients and we could send them ads specifically and we, oh that's great love it oh awesome sign me up and then you know it's great until you start talking about the actual uh, what you're going to charge them but so there's a lot of nuance in there but um definitely it appeals to larger clients uh agencies so they want quantity. They want a lot of records, which in some cases we could. We could satisfy millions of records in some cases without a lot of uh, focus on it. And then in other cases, we would just be too small. They wouldn't want to talk to us because, well, you only have 500,000 of those and we want millions. Okay, so that was a lot of the issues that we had. Some worked, some didn't.
0: It, it, it occurs to me that... One customer scored by uh, the intent data for these exhibitors, advertisers, etc., cetera, rationalized the spend potentially, depending on the lifetime value of that customer, many times over. So is there, um, is there a sort of barrier that the, the marketers need to overcome here if they if they actually track conversions, uh, I know that um, I once asked a, a webinar a client a sponsor, "We we've given you six hundred and seventy five leads, quote unquote, or registrants from this. Have any converted?" And his answer was, "I don't know." So, is is there still that gap uh, between yeah. marketers and and the actual? You know, business development groups. Um, because, as I said, I think one, one, one customer or two customers justifies the, is going to justify this price many times over potentially.
1: Yeah, we had we struggled with the attribution game a lot because, again, everything we were doing was was online. It was it was trackable, but you know, people would ask us, "Can I see?" And I see the names and, and contact information of the people that clicked on my ads. Um, no, we can't really, we're not going to give that to you. You can capture it if, if you can. But uh, attributing how many people converted from our campaigns to our clients was always difficult. Some of the ones we knew really, really well, we would, we would ask them, like that one client I mentioned who shared with me, here's how you compare with all my other marketing campaigns. That was illuminating. You know, how many people would it actually take for you? Uh, and then there's the sales, the, the, their sales process, right? Some of these companies we were dealing with, it's 12 months or a year uh, or more from when they speak to a client to when they close a deal. That's a really long time to to, to attribute back that, okay, the, the start of the process uh, came from, from our ad. It's, it's really, really difficult. So we didn't, uh, attribution was always really hard for us and we didn't. We got some, some feedback and, and, you know, renewals. We did have some clients that renewed two or three times because, okay, we were obviously delivering them what they wanted. And as you know, anything in marketing, if you try it and it works and it's a a good ROI, then the business will continue. If it's not, if it's not going to deliver what, what they expect, then you're not going to get a renewal. So you're kind of done. And, uh, we were, that was a big thing with it. That's why renewals were so very important was uh, because we knew that if we lose someone and we did, honestly, we lost some clients, didn't fulfill their expectations and didn't renew. And then now that person's, that client's gone forever. So it's a big issue, but um, attribution was difficult. Well,
0: I know that we focused mostly on um, the products and monetization, um as a result of intent data but what about us drinking our own champagne Uh, a lot of a lot of audience development people at at macma and this audience listening um talk about intent data a little bit for enriching your own audience database
1: sure we used it for our own information as well we used it to find clients we would go in and find the topic for you know digital advertising or um Topics like that, marketing, you know, marketing automation, uh, and we would say, okay, what companies out there in in advanced manufacturing, which is one of our big areas, which one of those clients is really interested in digital advertising, and we would look at that list and compare it to our exhibitor list and say, oh, we the five of those companies are exhibitors that we haven't spoken to yet. We would go and speak to those companies about our program. So we would use it uh, to, to to power our own sales enablement efforts which was really cool um i've heard from a couple of other companies that use this uh for their own audience development in in a huge way uh there was one company that we that i met with at a a trade show and they were using the intent data within within 24 to 48 hours they had set it up where they could see that uh, companies were spiking on their topic and they would get that information and somehow they had it automated within their CRM system to trigger a message i don't know if it was an email or even a phone call right but if i know back to the omega 3 example if i know that yesterday just yesterday 10 companies that i want to know about spiked in research on omega 3s yesterday if i can look them up you know, on linkedin or zoom or wherever and and call someone at that company and try to find Someone that was doing that research, or multiple people, they were getting crazy conversion rates. Now, that's an extreme example, but the, the idea works the same. If you can, if you can isolate companies that are doing research on something that's important to you or your audience, if you can contact them or somehow get get them an offer in front of them for your product or your service or your subscription, whatever it might be. Now you're ahead of the game because it's the recency that I think is the most important and if you hit people at the, if you hit people at the right time we've always used that phrase right right people right message right time if you can get them when they're interested when they're doing research i need to find someone to serve me this uh, i need to my boss is on my on my case to find a vendor and you're doing this research if you can reach that person with a solution well heck then you're you're way ahead of the game because the timeliness is is going to trump everything
0: yeah back to, back to that right time piece as well as right message right channel etc but um I I remember, you know, in the earlier days of the internet, they they had web callbacks. So the idea was, oh yeah, you click here, and then instantly you have a salesperson on the other end pounding you. So no, not that. But what you're talking about, I think, is really important because, for example, in 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 MySpace, research scientists doing drug discovery, they they may be spending most of their time in the lab. That's a point at which they are unreachable for marketing messages because they're out there say you know creating world and life-saving therapies uh, for hard diseases But when you know when they take a break maybe at lunchtime or and then maybe Saturday morning when they're checking their email and they're engaging with your content that may be the perfect time you may yeah. miss that perfect time if you don't have the right intent signals so you have the right target you have the right company you have intent but the wrong time so I I really do believe that this, holds great uh, hope for the future. Or there might
1: be someone else at that company. There might be someone that's a colleague that is related to that person, that scientist, who can still get the message and say, hey, I I know that you're looking for someone to do this. I just got a message from XYZ company about it. So we tried to expand a lot by looking at people not Not just the people that you want. You only want to reach research scientists. Okay, that's very specific. But what about someone else in their department or their group or their company or the C-suite person that might also be involved in the process of finding a vendor or a partner? Let's send them the ad. It was an advertisement, right? In our case, Mm -hmm. email might be different. But if it was an ad popping up to that person, hey, I know Joe down the hall. He, He was just telling me the other day at lunch that he was looking for this. It, it does work if you can spread those messages out a little farther than you, than you think. Well,
0: then let's suspend the, the challenges for the moment and just gaze into your crystal ball. So given these rapid technological advancements, where do you see the future trajectory of intent data?
1: Well, I can tell you this. Um, a couple of the people in, in Informa that i respect and that are doing great online digital uh, business have said to me numerous times that if you're not looking and using intent data in the next 2 years you're going to be way way behind so i thought that was quite powerful enough uh and you're the more i read about it the more i see uh, online and these companies popping up and and internal companies looking at it internally to create their own, like I mentioned, it's, it's becoming really, really important. Um, what what we do, what audience development people do, has always been trying to find intent signals, right? We've always been mm. lead scoring. And I used to say this all the time. When you tell me the persona and the company and the what that you're looking for, as soon as I go into my CDP and start typing in criteria, I'm lead scoring right then, right? I'm trying to find people that have the right matching information, which is a good start, a great start. And I know that you came to these shows and I know you've came to these webinars and even to the point of, I know you went into this part of our hall and we scanned your badge. Okay, great. Now on top of it, if I can narrow it down further by saying using the intent stuff within a week, within a month, I know you've done research on this. It makes the list smaller, but it also makes the list really, really targeted. So I, I think it's just going to become really important, more important than it is now, if it's used in the right way. It, it, that's the key. That I thought if I learned anything else in the last year and a half doing this is that it's it's difficult. It's hard to understand for clients. If you make them see the light and get some benefit out of it and get some great leads out of it, then it's it's a win for them they're going to rely on it and if the data you can provide and the analysis and the trends helps spark new ideas like the examples i gave that's another win so it has to be done thoughtfully but everybody that i speak speak to says it's going to become really vital to, to the future
0: so if you're just starting you know it looks like you may have 24 months based on the executive that you were talking to, to really get your stuff together and get moving on this. Um, How, how would you, what foundational advice can you offer?
1: Hmm. I would, uh, there's a couple of great reports out there. I know Forrester just did a report on uh, the top intent companies out there. There's a bunch. I would read that. There's a lot of great information in there. I would talk to some of these companies and, and decide for yourself what, uh, which one would be best served for us? You know, uh if you're in a certain industry, company X might be a better choice than company Y because they're stronger in their, their spheres that they are tracking uh, other that, that might be a big part of what will steer you. Uh, what kind of, what kind of tools do they offer to do this analysis? How can you look inside their world and, and use the tools that they have to identify and, how can you use that? How can it integrate with your systems? Is another big one. How can this feed into my CDP or my my audience database? Can I identify you know properly all that stuff? I know there's there's UIDs all over the place now. And is there a way for you to really know uh, and if that works out? And then the 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 taxonomy, the topics. One of the downfalls we had is that fourteen thousand topics sounds wonderful, but there might be a case where there's no topic in there that's exactly for for the company I'm talking to, then it doesn't look great. If I can't find my topic in there, then how's it going to help me? So you've got to try to match that up too, is the is the the framework, the taxonomy matching what my real needs are. Because you're only going to have a certain amount. So if you can narrow that down and narrow down the industries and make sure you're in a your vendor, your partner that you're going to choose has all of those things, then that's a really good place to be developing your own internal intent framework is another good idea too if you have awesome editorial and you've got you know multiple uh, touch points for people to read and to if you believe you can get a really good idea if you're the number one in your market and you've got you know millions and millions of pages every month well then you can have your own intent framework set it up make a great taxonomy and categorize those pages in a way that best works for you and then you'll be able to say okay last week i know that these companies hit these topics you can do it yourself
0: well as of today Len, i don't mean to be too glib but i know you can help companies do this (laughs) you are available as such correct
1: i am check me out on linkedin and please contact me love to hear from you Well, and
0: while I always find it fascinating to dive deep into professional journeys, I equally love learning about the personal passions that shape and inspire my guests. I noticed you serve on the board of directors for the Connecticut Air and Space Center, and there's this captivating tidbit in your bio about spending your early days, early years at Sikorsky Airport, watching airplanes alongside your grandfather. Can you share more about this passion for aviation and how it's intertwined with your personal history?
1: Yeah, it's definitely his fault but um, I'm. I live, I live near uh, Stratford, Connecticut, which is a pretty famous uh, spot for aviation history. So it's kind of cathartic that I'm involved in a in a museum now. We've been open since May of 21. Uh, we had a great summer this year with with kids. I, I organize uh, school trips, class trips, but we are based at Sikorsky Memorial Airport. And the reason that it's important is because this uh, we, we have a we have an aircraft hangar that was built in 1929. That's where our museum is going to be. It's being rebuilt. Amelia Earhart, Charles Lindbergh, famous aviators were were in that hangar. We have a logbook signed by them. Right across the street from our museum is where Igor tested and perfected and flew the first helicopter in 1939. And then the factories during World War II, which Connecticut itself was a huge part of uh, industrial production during world war ii the the famous uh, iconic f4u corsair fighter was built there Seven thousand were built right across the street the buildings still stand and we have one in our museum so we educate people on the history of the the area and we talk about aviation in general and it's it's a really a great part something to be part of where uh, every sunday i go down there and we we meet with people and talk to them, walk them around the museum. And it's, it's a great thing to be part of for someone who loves airplanes.
0: Well, you know, the, the metaphor isn't lost on me here, as far as, you know, air travels history and audience development and intent data. So I think we've wrapped this with a nice bow, Lynn. Um We really appreciate here um, at audience architect, uh, your, your insight and your specific examples on intent data. Thanks for joining us today.
1: No problem. If anybody has any questions and they want to reach out, I'd be happy to help if I can.
0: Great. Thanks, Len. Thanks again to MacMuff supporting Audience Architect Podcasts. Shout out to my excellent producer and editor, Camilo Duque of Victoria Records, available to work on your music, podcast, or movie soundtrack. Write me with your feedback on the show and topic ideas for future episodes the good, bad, and ugly to Bill Levine at BML0217 at gmail.com. Audience Architect is a content service of MACMA, the Media Audience and Content Marketing Association supercharge your career with MACMA's paid membership. Connect with industry experts, thought leaders, and like-minded professionals. Expand your knowledge and stay ahead with networking events, webinars, and conferences. Join MACMA today for unparalleled value and professional growth. Check us out at www.the-macma.org. Thanks as always to Lisa Pistilli and the gang at MACMA.